0: Hello, friends. I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church in our online teaching time. Hey, my name is Sam. I'm the pastor here at Vernonia Church, and it's my privilege to share with you today as we finish up this series called The Peace Offer with a teaching about an offered practice where well, we're going to talk about how to put God's peace to practice in our relationships, and it's going to be a great Day. Hey, first I want to say thank you to Pastor Chad for filling in for me last week. Last week I had the opportunity to go to New York to be a guest speaker at a Young Adults Retreat. Oh, it was a great time. It was a great experience. I really enjoyed this this really sharp group of young people, young adults who love Jesus and were just soaking in the wisdom that God wanted to share with them. And so it was a great trip, great opportunity. And I'm so thankful that Chad was able to be here to share with you about and offered uh, th- this offered love that God gives to us that brings us peace. And so well, I just want to say thank you to him. And I want to say thank you to the group that brought us out to New York to have a chance to go to Mountain View Christian Camp and share there. Uh, it was just fantastic to be with many of you, some of you who are joining us here. And so thank you to you too. Hey, that said, I want to pray and then I want to dive into this teaching where we're going to talk about how to practice this uh, this offered practice of peace. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we know that we could all use more peace in our relationships we know that uh, we could all use more peace of mind more peace in the way we communicate and interact with our spouse with our uh, w- with our friends with our community with our church uh, god i pray that you will help us as followers of jesus to learn to practice your peace in our relationships. I pray that you will help us to uh, make course corrections in our life that maybe you're going to call us to make. I pray that you will help us to show the peace of God, uh, the peace that you've given us on the inside. I pray that you will help us to uh, externalize it, help us to use it in the way that we live with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, Amen. Well, let's dive into this teaching where we're going to talk about this offered practice. God's going to give us sort of a how-to practice being at peace in our relationships. I don't know if you're in a place where maybe you've, you've heard us talk about God's peace. You've kind of come to a place where you understand he gives you this inner peace, but you're still looking at the world around you and going, but how come? How come my relationships aren't at peace? How come I still have animosity or anxiety or worry? How come I still struggle with grudges and guilt and and I still struggle in my relationships? And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about some of the ways God offers us. And he says to us, hey, here's how you practice my peace. And sometimes, well, sometimes... It takes drastic action. It it takes making some big changes to bring about God's peace. There's an old story from the fourth century about a about a Christian monk named Telemachus. You may have heard of him before. Well, Telemachus was really famous for something he did in the city of Rome. Uh, one time he decided to travel to the city of Rome. When he got to Rome, there was a big crowd moving their way into the Colosseum. He got sort of swept up in the crowd and found himself in the Colosseum. He looked over, he could see the emperor there in, his, in the seat of honor. And he noticed that in the Colosseum, there were gladiators starting to get ready to do their thing. Uh, they, uh, they they saluted the emperor, uh, uh, saying, you know what, and we're about to die. We who are about to die salute you. And Telemachus was somewhat taken back. He'd heard about the gladiator games. And a lot of the people that he knew thought that that was a myth, that it wasn't really something happening. But here he was in the middle of it, about to see it start. And, and when it started... Wow. He was amazed. People were, uh, these gladiators were actually hurting each other, harming each other, causing, uh, causing death in the arena. And what he was even more amazed by was the way that people were cheering. People were getting bloodthirsty, and they were getting excited and yelling and screaming. And so Telemachus thought, you know what, I need to put a stop to this. He began yelling, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop. And people were yelling so loud, no one was listening to him. And what he ended up doing was somewhat remarkable. He ended up jumping down into the arena, screaming, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop. And people thought this was some sort of joke, that maybe he was a clown running around or something you know he's running around saying in the name of jesus christ stop the gladiators stopped fighting each other and started chasing him down they were swinging at him he would dodge something and yell in the name of jesus christ stop and and the dust started to fly and and swords were swinging and all kinds of bad things were about to happen to telemachus Uh, they attacked him by the time the dust settled there he was in the arena with a with a sword in his chest, the last words, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop it. Well, Telemachus died. And the whole arena of the Colosseum, it said, had fallen quiet. One man stood up, turned his back, and left. And then another man, and then another man. And pretty soon, people were filing out and leaving the Colosseum. The the gladiators turned around, they stopped fighting and they left. Eventually the emperor left and that was supposedly the last time any gladiators fought in that Colosseum in Rome. That was the end of it. It took a drastic measure of someone standing up and saying in the name of Jesus Christ, stop it. Well, we're talking about the peace of God here and experiencing his peace. And we're, we're looking at this peace that God gives us between us and him. How he forgives us, shows us incredible mercy, that Jesus stands in the middle between a, a, a holy and perfect God and a sinful person and brings them together because of what he did on the cross and the sacrifice that he made. It took a drastic measure for us to have peace with God. Last week, we talked about how we can have this incredible peace knowing that God has this amazing love for us. How he created us to be loved by him, to experience his love. And we've talked about this peace that we should have in our hearts because of it. But there's going to take some drastic measure to start putting the peace that Jesus brings us between us and God and, and the peace that comes from knowing his love And our actual day-to-day life and relationships to where we we might have to take a stand with ourselves. Like Telemachus did in the arena where we say, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop it. You know, we couldn't talk about the peace that comes from God without talking about one of the names that God gives us. Did you know that one of the names, among names like Christian or disciple or believer or called out ones or priesthood, a holy priesthood, these are all names that God gives uh, Christians in scripture. There's another name he gives us, another title, another role that he gives us. And it's this, the role of a peacemaker. And God wants us to learn how to be peacemakers. And being a peacemaker, I'm going to be honest with you, it can be tough at times. Because being a peacemaker is not easy. We don't live in a world where people are busy being peacemakers. And God wants us to be peacemakers. In fact, here's what Jesus says in one of his most famous sermons in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. He wants you to be a peacemaker, a peacemaker with your spouse, peacemaker with your kids, peacemaker with your neighbors, peacemaker in your community, a peacemaker in your church. And what he's saying there is that you, you, if you're a peacemaker, you're a child of God, and that those who are peacemakers, uh, they're God's children, and that those who are God's children are going to be peacemakers. And where are the peacemakers today? We live in a world full of animosity, a world where people are fighting, a world where, well, the Bible says that a time would come where people's love would just grow cold. And sometimes it can feel that way, can it? it? It can feel like people's love has grown cold. Uh, people grow cold with family, grow cold with friends, grow cold with uh, their 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 fellow church members. People's love has grown cold, and God will share with us how to practice taking a drastic measure to bring peace into our lives to become a peacemaker. And I want to turn to a place in the Bible, a book called James, in James chapter 3, where we're going to see that James will tell us that being a peacemaker is huge. It's important. It's something he wants us to do. He says it this way in James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. He says this, if you are wise and if you understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. And so he's going to say, hey, you got this peace of God in your life. Well, okay, now it's time to prove it. Now it's time to run around in the ring of your heart saying, in the name of Christ, stop it, when it comes to all the animosity and grudges and, and unforgiveness and all the things that take our peace away. And then he says this, but if, if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. And those are two things that'll get in the way of our peace every time. Jealousy and selfishness, and and being bitter. And a third thing he mentions that will that will make us uh, well. It will take away our peace. And he says these aren't from God. That is not God's kind of wisdom. Such things, he said, are earthly unspiritual and then he takes a an even deeper dive and he says and demonic they're from the devil they are evil and wicked well, if you are a Christian and you're carrying around bitterness and you're carrying around jealousy and you're you're carrying around selfishness these are things that don't come from God they come from the world or were at, 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 at best which is bad or they come from demons and the devil which is even worse. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. And here God says these things are going to be the things that will get in the way of your your peace. If you allow them, if you allow your heart to go to a place where where you... uh, where you're not at peace because you have selfishness or bitterness, because you're, uh, well, be, because you're, you're, you're living with a wisdom that's not from God. You're being jealous of other people. You're envying what they have. And God tells us that knowing His peace, it will show up in your relationships. When your relationships are are all out of sorts and there's animosity, and there's anger, and there's bitterness, and selfishness, and jealousy, when those things are there, then then you're not living. In God's peace and God wants his best for you he wants you to know his peace and experience his peace and you might have a lot of money you might have a lot of success in your life but if your relationships are strained or you're hurting or you're struggling in your relationships if you're having a hard time getting along with others if you find yourself constantly at odds with others within your home or within your friendships or community that it's most likely because you've not been applying the wisdom Wisdom and the peace of God in your life. And right at the beginning of this passage, he tells us applying God's peace to our life begins with wisdom and and being wise and being humble. The Bible will tell us that uh, anytime we're acting out, uh, out of jealousy or pride, we're being foolish Anytime we get prideful, and often that's where all this stuff comes from, is a sense of pride, a sense of selfishness. Anytime that I'm being jealous, anytime I'm being selfish, anytime I'm being bitter, it almost always comes from pride, and, and that doesn't come from God. And he tells us that the fruit of those things are disorder and evil. And if you look at your life, and you look at your relationships, you look at your marriage, you look at your family relationships, if there's a lot of disorder, then it might be an indicator that, that someone needs to stand up in the arena of your heart and say, in the name of Jesus, take a hold of his peace and stop it. Stop it. If you're in a place where, uh, where you've been just experiencing this disorder, if you're in a place where you've been experiencing evil in your relationships, evil uh, hardship, confusion, unrest, disharmony, evil things, rebellion. Uh, if if your relationships are are marked by rebellion, then you're not living with God's peace and with His wisdom. And the key to getting back to His peace is to come to His wisdom and hear what He has to say. To get rid of and stop it when it comes to the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of demons and to take a hold of the wisdom of God. And so James is going to share with us the wisdom of God. He's going to share with us some traits, some things we would do if we were to apply the wisdom of God. In the very next verse, in verse 17, he says this, But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. He starts with purity. And it's also peace-loving and gentle at times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and it's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers, here's that title, right? Those who are peacemakers, they will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness, you know. We just finished this last week. Was the the last of six weeks of a class that I've been teaching. I've been a part of. Uh, there's there's a class that's been put on by OSU Extension Office here in Oregon called the seed to supper it's a basic gardening class it's a great way for me to get involved in something in the community connect with people that i might not normally connect with here at church and uh, it's something i enjoy doing and so i've been teaching through that and one of the things that we talk about during that class are seeds and how to how to pick seeds how to read seed packets how to plan growing seeds and, and 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 different methods of planting them what Plants are better off planted as seeds. What are better off uh, growing into transplants and then, and then transplanting those plants. And we talk a lot about uh, that stuff. And, and we just finished up that class this last week. I missed the last one because I was in New York. But it was the last week of that. And one thing that I learned, I mean, this is going to blow your mind when it comes to planting seeds. Is that when you plant A tomato plant let's say you're in vernonia and you like the little gold uh, the 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 little gold uh, like a cherry tomato and you want to plant some sun gold cherry tomatoes you go ahead and you get some seeds for sun gold tomatoes you grow that seed that seed will always grow a sun gold tomato you can't plan your garden and take uh, tomato seeds and plant them all over, hoping that some of them will turn into zucchini and maybe one of them will turn into a tulip and maybe one of them will turn into, a, you know, a a pepper, a bell pepper of some sort. And it, Whatever seed you plant, that's what you're going to get. You're not going to get an apple tree from a tomato plant. You're not going to, I mean, this is mind-blowing stuff, isn't it? And yet, how funny it is that how often we will plant seeds of stress, seeds of anxiety, seeds of worry, seeds of jealousy and selfishness, and seeds of contention. And then we act surprised when our relationships get strained. We act surprised like, That wasn't the seed we planted, but guess what? That's the seed that grew up. And so James tells us here, hey, let me share with you some seeds you can plant that will bring peace to your relationships. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like to have more peace in your relationships with your family, with your spouse, with your kids, with with the people at school? Wouldn't you like to have... uh, more peace in your relationships? Well, I know I would, and I know I can learn from what James has to say here. I mean, as I was preparing this message and and going over uh, all of these seeds that we're going to talk about, some of them I was going, ouch, you know what? I need to do better at this one. And maybe you'll find that's true for you too. And so so here, James is going to pull out this law that Jesus taught us long ago. Before James ever wrote this, Jesus said, you will reap what you sow. That's called the law of sowing and reaping. You'll reap what you sow. It's so true in a lot of areas of life, and it's especially true when it comes to having peace in our relationships. You will reap what you sow. If you sow pride and jealousy and selfishness, if you sow contention and and animosity, if you sow discord... Then guess what you're going to get in your relationships? All the stuff of the world and the devil. All the stuff that brings, well, a lack of peace in your relationships. But if you sow these things, he says, you'll, you'll be a peacemaker in your relationships. And so let's start. Let's start looking at these, these six things that he mentions there in verse 17. And I'm just going to kind of uh, give my own twist to each one of them. The first one is this. He says, "So, uh, so purity. Now, what, what I would encourage you to write down off to the side is, I will plant trust in my relationships I'll plant trust in my relationships. James says that, that the peace from God and the wisdom that comes from above is, first of all, pure. It's always going to be true it's always going to be honest it's always going to be undefiled and have no fault it's really hard to do any of the rest of what we're going to talk about if we're not if we're not grounded grounding the things that we say and the things that we do in the scriptures and what God already shares with us in his in his complete truth real wisdom it speaks the truth it'll share the truth of God it'll stand on the truth of God and sometimes Sometimes it will speak out about the truth of God and stand up for the truth of God. And the truth is, is sometimes that alone is going to bring uh, attention to relationships. But at least in that case, you're standing on the truth of God. But here's the other side of that. Speaking the truth is so important because sometimes we need to speak the truth in a relationship when it feels uncomfortable, to speak the truth, when it might cost us to speak the truth. Sometimes we need to speak the truth and be honest in a relationship where it would have been easier to just lie, but God wants us to, first of all, be pure in the way that we speak. Sometimes it speaks the truth, it's pure, even when it's not. Uh, it's tempting not to. In Proverbs chapter 15 verse 26 it says this, the Lord delights in pure words he delights when we speak the truth words that are truthful words that aren't dishonest words that aren't false or or lies Uh, the first thing i need to do to be a peacemaker in my relationships is just to be honest and open is just to tell the truth I'm not going to, in our relationships, try to trick you, deceive you, manipulate you, use you. Those things aren't pure. Instead, I'm going to speak the truth of God in love, and I'm going to also be honest with you. Well, when I speak to you, you'll be able to trust me because I'm speaking the truth. And that's why it's so important this one. Because all relationships are built on trust. And the less you can trust me, the more at odds, and the more the more strain there's gonna be on our relationship, the less you could trust what I'm saying, the the less peace we're gonna have. But the more honest I am with you the more you'll trust me, the more you'll respect me because I was honest, and the, the easier it will be for us to have a peaceful relationship. And sometimes when it comes to purity like this, sometimes when it comes to honesty like this, uh, it takes a drastic measure. Because let's be honest, in a moment of honesty, almost all of us are tempted to skirt the truth, to bend the truth. Almost all of us in our relationships are tempted to be dishonest at times. All of us are. And sometimes it takes just standing up in our hearts and saying, stop it in the name of Jesus Christ. Be honest. Be pure. Speak the truth. Speak the truth of God. I came across a story about a About a police police precinct in Randor, Pennsylvania. I don't know where that is, but I read this story and it made me chuckle. Uh, these, uh, These officers were interrogating a suspect and they didn't have a lie detector on hand. And so they took a colander, a metal colander, and had it attached by wires to a photocopy machine. And on the photocopy machine, they had a paper there that it would copy that said, "...he is lying." And while they were interrogating this guy, they put that colander on his head. And they talked to him, and every time they thought he was lying, they'd push the button, and out would come a paper that said he is lying. And and unbelievably, it worked because he ended up confessing to what he had done. Uh, what what's what, what craziness there? Uh, but but you know what's even crazier is the guy that invented the the actual lie detector, the guy that uh invented it his name was dr leonard keeler and he tested this contraption he had made and i know that uh, lie detection is somewhat of a, a questionable thing you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't it measures all kinds of things like i guess heartbeat and the way you sweat and the way you interact while you're being asked questions but when dr keeler was using this machine that's used all over the world and um uh, uh, in law enforcement to to, to uncover the truth uh, he he tested 25,000 people and at the end of all his tests he said this that every human being is by nature dishonest that's that was his conclusion after he had created the lie detector and you know it's a sad story but it's a Probably a true story, that all of us, by nature, God tells us we have a sin nature. We have a sinful nature, this sinful nature that we're constantly battling and at odds with, and the sinful nature that at times we need to stand up to and say, "Stop it, uh, be honest." And that's why the Apostle Paul will say this in Ephesians chapter four verse 15. He says, "God wants us to grow up. You know what? God loves you just the way you are. And that should give you peace. He created you. He absolutely loves you. He already died for you on the cross. He loves you. But he loves you way too much to leave you the way you are. He wants you to grow up. And so the Apostle Paul says, God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth, and to tell it in love. Like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. And so God wants you to be pure in your words, to be honest in your relationships. And the more pure and the more honest you are, the more at peace you'll be with the people in your life. Number two, I'll plant calm. I'll plant calm in my relationships i'll plant calm i'll speak words that diffuse rather than agitate i'll i'll speak words that diffuse rather than uh, increase your anger uh, I, I, instead of getting you worked up i'm going to find a way to to diffuse what's happening in our in our interaction i'll plant trust by telling the truth and and I won't get you worked up by the way that I tell it. You know, some people, they they forget that principle that Jesus taught. He taught us to speak the truth in love. And some people just speak the truth without love and, and, and that never goes over well. That just agitates others. But we need to learn to speak the truth in love, in a loving way, with a caring heart. And, and in a way that doesn't uh, that doesn't agitate, in a way that doesn't create more anxiety and more angst. And you might be speaking the truth with what you're posting, but you're probably doing it in a way, and I say probably because a lot of people do this, it's all over, you probably do it in a way that, uh, that affects. that that increases anger, that that increases the the lack of peace to what you're doing. But wise people, they work at maintaining peace, he teaches us. They work at maintaining harmony. Uh, Peacemakers, they're not looking for a fight. Uh, They don't get offended easily. I wonder, do you? Do you get offended easily? Well, just ask yourself. Uh, when someone says something that upsets you or you disagree with, do you go from zero to a hundred? Do you go? Do you go really quickly from zero to a hundred? And and maybe you have a hard time answering that. Ask your family. Ask your friends. Ask your kids. Do you go from zero to a hundred? Are you slow to anger or quick to anger? Do you get offended easily? Again. Is your level of offense from zero to a hundred right away? You get worked up. Foolish people in the scripture. They're described as people who get defensive easily, they get angered easily, they get offended easily, they carry a chip on their shoulder, uh, they they carry grudges, they they carry their guilt, and and they're always stewing, and they're always spewing, and they're always uh, at odds in their relationships. And over and over and over again, the Bible will teach us that, that part of being wise in our relationships is to not get easily angered, to stand up in the arena of our heart like Telemachus and say stop it stop it let's let's put this to death let's go ahead and stop getting worked up so quickly and stop working others up so quickly you know do you go from talking calmly to yelling and screaming does your voice elevate quickly you know do you go from do you go from a place of, of foolishness or to a place of foolishness really quickly because true wisdom if i'm wise I'm going to, well, I'm going to plant calm into a volatile situation. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he said this, It is a mark of good character to avert quarrels, but fools love to pick fights. Which one are you? Would you rather calm a quarrel down or would you rather pick the fight and build it up a mark of good character well it stays out of arguments and there's a time and place where where we do stand up for the truth and there's a time and place to go ahead and stand up for what's right but if you're the person who thinks that every time and every place is the time and place then maybe uh, maybe it's time to stop it in Proverbs chapter 14, 29, it says people with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. A hot temper, well, hot temper can bring me to a place where where I make all kinds of mistakes, can it? A hot temper leads to a bigger quarrel, to more mistakes, to, to more struggles. A hot temper uh, can just elevate a situation. So let me share with you some of the things that maybe we want to, Stop planting in our conversations uh, in order to have more peace. How about this? I stopped planting comparing. The seed of comparing. I stopped planting the seed of comparing, where where I'm always comparing. We get into an argument, and I compare. You know, uh, why can't you be more like him? You know, why can't you why can't you do more like that? You know, why can't you be a kid who listens like that? And and, and we compare. And what that does is that just elevates the anger. That elevates the level of animosity. And that elevates the argument. And so stop comparing and and stop condemning. You know, one of the things that we often do is we will condemn others in the middle of an argument or a discussion. We condemn them. We attack their uh, who they are and, and and we condemn. This is all your fault. If you just weren't so dumb, this wouldn't have happened. And and I'm so ashamed of you and you should be ashamed of yourself. And we condemn them and, and and when we're we're married, we condemn each other, don't we? We can get into an argument and condemn each other. You know what? Uh, you're just like your father. You know what? You're just like your mother. Uh, or, or you, uh, and we start to condemn. And, and you're being like this. And you're, and you're just like that. And we also use some condemning words. Like never and always. Have you ever done that? You never do the dishes. You always. You always Uh, say that you you never act like you love me you never uh, do what a good uh, a good person would do and we we can do that to each other and those are words that are very condemning i remember uh, when me and carrie went to uh, counseling It was uh, before we got married, we went to some relationship counseling to learn how to have a better relationship. And in the midst of that, I remember one of the things that the counselor said was you need to take words like always and never out of your conversations uh, because what they do is they negate the good. You know, if you never do anything good, then what I've done is anytime you've ever done good, I've just taken that, thrown it away and nullified it. And I've just wrecked you, you know, by saying that. Or if you always do the wrong thing, then I just took all the times where you do the right thing and I negated them and threw them into the trash. And and, and so he said, remove those kind of words from your conversations, especially in your arguments. And so we want to stop planting things like comparing and stop planting things like like condemning and stop planting things that that maybe contradict. Uh, when I contradict, I, I'm asking for an argument. Have you ever been contradictory in a conversation with somebody? Uh, they're sharing their thoughts or their feelings and the first thing you do is cut them off and tell them how uh, how invalid they are. Uh, You, one psychologist said that wisdom is the art of knowing what to overlook. And how often have you had a conversation and someone got a detail wrong and the detail didn't really matter to the point of the conversation, but you had to fight for that detail. And sometimes it's just good to go ahead and overlook when someone gets a detail wrong. This is something I learned early in ministry because it's easy to upset people when they get details wrong. You point them out all the time. Uh, but uh, I, I, so I had to learn. Okay, well, I'm not going to get worked up over that one. That's going to be all. I'm going to let that one go. And sometimes we need to learn to let something go in the middle of a conversation to help diffuse it uh, instead of instead of feeding it. We want to try the best we can to share the truth in love and yet and be pure and and to be honest and yet at the same time uh, do it in a way that doesn't elevate an argument we want to do it in a way where i'm planting calm rather than animosity and the next one is this number three i will plant i will plant empathy i'll learn to listen and i'll learn to sympathize and maybe empathize with with your struggle and your feelings James says in James 1 17 that here that wisdom, well, it's considerate. It's considerate. It's not just pure. And, and, and it's not just, I'm going to look back at the verse here. I got to scroll up. It, it's not just pure. It's not it's not just peace loving, which by the way, that's the one that goes with I will, I will plant calm. I'm going to love peace. I'm going to be peaceful and loving. And 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 it's it's also considerate it's also also empathetic uh, other translations here will say this wisdom is above all courteous i'll plant i'll plant empathy i'll be courteous with you real wisdom is being gentle with people rather than harsh being considerate and being kind and simply mindful of of someone's feelings, being empathetic and learning how to say, you know what, I can see why you were hurt, and I can understand why you would feel that way, or or why you would uh, feel like this or that. You're not just thinking about your own feelings, your own agenda, your own goals, your own needs. You're not just thinking about how you can manipulate a situation, uh, and and you're not just thinking about your own hurts or your own interests. But when you're in a conversation and in your marriage. That's sort of tense. Uh, there may be a time and a place to say, if I were in your shoes, I would maybe feel the way you do. If I were in your shoes, I would think the way you do. If I were in your shoes, I would I would look at it and experience it the way you are. And one of the things I've had to learn as a pastor is how to look at things from someone else's shoes. I don't always do the best at it. I try. And when a situation comes up or there's a, a struggle, I'm always trying to look at, okay, what's their perspective and why might they feel that way and why might they think that way? And okay, what's their perspective and why might they feel that way and think that way? It's important for us to do uh, to sort of empathize with people and their their circumstances and their situations. And and what what would it hurt for you to just stop in the middle of an argument? Just stop for a second and validate their feelings. Was well, that hurt? <laughs> Yet we don't do it very often, do we? Instead, we we might try to say, "Well, you know, your your feelings aren't right. They're not. They're they're not important. Uh, they're they're expressing pain, and we're telling them uh, why their their pain is invalid. And what harm would it to be?" What harm would it be to say, at least in the moment, the heat of the moment, I can understand why you feel that way. I'm sorry. Sorry you feel that way. You can always come back and talk about the validity and the truth and the the loving truth in a loving way about the situation. Uh, Why do we always feel like we need to immediately uh, get away from someone's pain? We always feel the need to immediately escape the situation or avoid it or immediately prove them wrong in their pain. We feel the need to bring up different problems while they're sharing their pain. We feel the need to say, well, what about this? What about that in the middle of someone's pain? You might ask yourself, why am I so quick to change the subject when someone speaks painful truth? some of us that's kind of our go to now now this one is tough i'm going to admit it it's tough for me as uh, i i was a young man that loved math and uh, i especially love logic which i kind of see as math applied to um, relationships <laughs> and it doesn't always work out because not everybody uh Not everybody likes Spock. (laughs) Not everybody likes the logical approach. And the truth is, we're not logical uh, people as human beings. We're emotional people. We respond out of we, we we like to we like to think we're logical, but most of the way that we respond to life is very emotional. And and not every moment is a moment to come up with a logical solution to to someone's pain. So the next time you're Spouse shares with you, you know, this hurt or that hurt, or next time your kids share with you their their feelings, instead of just jumping on them, uh, and or 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 instead of just changing the subject, just say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry you're experiencing that pain. That will go a long way into planting a seed of peace. And Proverbs chapter 17, 27 to 28, it says this: A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent with their mouths shut. They seem intelligent. And you know what Solomon is sharing with us there is he's sharing with us one of the ways that maybe we should deal with people's pains. Uh, instead of speaking up and sharing the logic, uh, a logical answer, or instead of speaking up and getting into an argument, instead of invalidating, maybe maybe uh, we should be the fool who could be wise. Just by being quiet, saying, I'm so sorry you feel that way. I'm so sorry you, you've experienced that. Sometimes a time for sometime that there is a time for solutions or making plans as a leader or as someone who runs business or someone who's making solutions. There are times to go ahead and, and, and apply logic. There are times to go ahead and, and find the solutions that are necessary so that you can experience God's best. But not every time is that time. Sometimes it's just time to sit back, be quiet, and say, I'm sorry. Try this week. When someone shares with you a a negative emotion or hurt they have, try it. Instead of getting defensive, instead of getting offended or getting worked up, instead of comparing, instead of posting a rant uh, or trolling someone who's sharing their hurt, uh, instead of minimizing their emotions or changing the subject or getting political, uh, just go ahead and uh, be quiet. Absorb their pain. Listen. love, share love, share peace. You know, the Bible will say that's maturity. That's growing up. It's what Jesus does with you and me all the time. I heard one man say it this way. If you want to be good at loving people, you need to realize that your ear is a far better tool for showing kindness than your mouth. (laughs) <laughs> isn't that true sometimes it is and sometimes just showing up and being quiet when people are hurting is far better and maybe they'll do the same for you when your time comes it could save your marriage it could save your family it could save a church a community and wow what a difference if people would start practicing this kind of thing what a difference it would make in our in our country. In Romans chapter 15, verse 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul says this, Hey, listen, we who are strong, we ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each one of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, someone was insulting someone else and the insult fell on you. Well, Jesus is saying, hey, that happened to me. And, and, and you might be there going, what did I do? How, how did I get wrapped into this or pulled into this? And maybe we just need to be like Jesus and realize sometimes people are going to get strong in the way they feel and and they're going to insult and they're going to be emotional. and 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 sometimes we just need to let that emotion fall on us and and Jesus does that for us. In Galatians 6, 2, it says, share each other's burdens. Not just share my burdens with you, but, but I, I will share your burdens. I'll help you carry them. And in this way, we obey the law of Christ. What's the law of Jesus? What's the law of Christ? Well, Jesus gave us one commandment. He said, I want you to love your neighbor As I have loved you. The the old commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus' command was love your neighbor as I love you. There's a little bit of a higher standard there. And so he's saying love like I love. And so if I want to be a peacemaker. If I want to be at more peace in my my relationships. I need to uh, plant being uh, I need to plant truth. I, I need to plant trust by being truthful and honest. I, I need to plant calm uh, by not escalating arguments. I, I need to plant empathy by listening uh, rather than minimizing to your feelings. And number four, I plant openness. I plant openness. If I'm wise, when i'm when I'm in my interactions with you, I'm not going to be closed. I'm not going to be critical. I'm not going to respond with criticism. I'm not going to respond or be closed to your ideas or or your suggestions. I'll be teachable. I'll be a learner. James says wisdom from above. Well, here's what it does. It yields to others in verse 17 here. He says it yields to others. And you know what it means to yield to others? The word that he uses here is a unique word in the Bible. It's the only time it shows up. It means that I'm not going to be defensive. Uh, I'm not going to be closed. It actually means I'm just going to be open to what you have to say. I'm going to be open to what you want to teach me. I'm going to be open to your idea or or what you want to share with me. Uh, The New Living Translation says it's willing to yield to others. It means... In short, I'm going to be reasonable. Now, <laughs> there was this saying I, I heard a long time ago, and I don't know where I first heard it. It was a saying that I, I guess I, I try to live by. I want to be open-minded, but I don't want to be so open-minded that my brains fall out. And we live in a world right now that's asking us to be so open-minded that our brains fell out. Remember, we want to go back to, to the first thing that we want to plant. We want to plant. Honesty, truth, We want to plant the truth of God. We want to speak the truth. We want to speak what's true. We don't want to be so open that our brains fall out, but we also don't want to be closed. And sometimes we can be way too closed. Uh, uh, And a wise person will say, you know what, I can learn from anyone. I I can hear from anyone. A a stubborn person is closed-minded. A stubborn person, you can't teach them anything. A stubborn person is someone who knows it all already and is not teachable uh, you're set in your own ways and you're never going to change a thing. But a wise person, well, they can learn and they, they can listen. And sometimes, well, they can what take what they learned and what they heard and, and they can make a change. Have you ever had a time where you were in a disagreement and you realized that nobody in this disagreement is open? <laughs> you had this disagreement and everybody's talking but they're all talking at each other not to each other everybody's throwing out it's like they're jousting it's like they're they're in the arena and they're fighting just throwing their swords around you know they're they're they're, they're talking but they're talking at and not to nobody is listening nobody's hearing What's being said. And God wants us to get to a place where, where we're open in our conversation. We're willing to listen. We're willing to have that get-together, that sit-down and hear each other out. We're willing, to, uh, we're willing to listen. Man, this can go huge in your relationships. This will go huge in your marriage. This will go huge with your kids. This will go huge at work, at the office. In Proverbs chapter 12, 15, it says this, uh, Solomon will say, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Again, it's about listening. It's about hearing. It's about considering others. So we plant trust and we plant calm and we plant empathy and we plant openness. And the next one is this, I'll plant mercy. I'll be merciful. Merciful. And I'll plant mercy. James here says that that wisdom that comes from God, the kind of wisdom that brings peace, well, it's full of mercy. and it bears the fruit of good deeds. It's giving. It won't it won't be unmerciful. You know what's the opposite of mercy? Well, it's being unmerciful. It's holding on to your mistakes and bringing them up. In conversation. It's holding on to the hurts and the wrongs and, and, and always using them in our jousting and in our conversation. Are you someone who's quick to point out everything that someone ever did wrong? Are you someone who's quick to point out what someone's doing right now that's wrong? Do you point out everything that's wrong with the world today and you just spend your day thinking about What's wrong? Are you someone who points out everything that's wrong at work? Oh, the boss did this or that, or this co-worker always does this or that, and and you're always pointing it out. Do you jump? I mean, jump on every mistake someone makes, every error, and you are just merciless. Do you feel like it's your God-appointed duty, as if you're a prophet called by God to point out, everything everyone does wrong at home in your family maybe you've been appointed and, and you feel like it's your job at church to point out all the little things are you always picking on everything and everyone do you bring up the past over and over and over again well guess what you're merciless and you wonder why you don't have peace in your relationships. It's because you have no mercy. And God wants us to, to show mercy. And he tells us here in James that it is a mark of godly wisdom. It is a mark of being a peacemaker. Mercy. God says, have it. Mercy. It's giving people what they need and not what they deserve. See, that's the problem. The problem with people who are merciless are always focused on giving someone what they deserve. What they think they deserve. But mercy doesn't do that. Mercy gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy gives you the kindness and love you need. God is a merciful God. Mercy is what he does through Jesus Christ on a cross. To forgive you and me. Of our sins, and we worship this merciful God, and yet sometimes we can just be so merciless. And if we want peace in our relationships, maybe we ought to show a little more mercy, maybe we ought to stand up and say, Stop it to our own hearts, and our own mouth, and our own minds. At times, stop it and show mercy. Mercy is treating what people the way God treats you, mercy is encouraging people rather than judging people. Mercy. In Proverbs chapter seventeen nine, Solomon says this, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. You ever had a friendship dissolve because you just couldn't stop dwelling on how somebody was at fault? Well, Mercy stops it. Wisdom in relationships is learning to let it go. Forgetting mistakes, overlooking mistakes. That's mercy. It's intentionally saying, I'm done. I'm done holding on to it. One of the sayings I grew up around growing up in New York was, forget about it. That was something people would say. Uh, if you uh, if you wronged them and you said you were sorry, oh forget about it. You know it. And how often do we need to actually say that to ourselves? Forget about it. Just forget about it. Let it go. In Proverbs 15:4 it says this, gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. You know when you show mercy, it's like Bringing life to a relationship. Bringing life and peace to a relationship. But when you're merciless, that just crushes. That's cruel. It's just being cruel with someone's spirit. And what, what we need to do is stop it. Uh, stop bringing it up. Stop rehashing it. Stop letting it change the way you live. Stop stewing and spewing. And if I'm wise, uh, I'm not going to hang you. With your mistakes Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and let him go number six last one I'll plant love I'll plant love Jesus loved us he wants us to learn how to love others he tells us that God is love he tells us that because God is love if we know him we ought to show love and I'll plant love by not despising you because you're different. I'll plant love by by not holding on to judgment of you because you have a different perspective, a different idea, a different path in life, a different look. You know, God God has created an amazing variety in our world. And one of the biggest sources of conflict in our life uh, in our in our marriage in our relationships with other people is when we well when we love who we are but not who you are when I when I love the way I think the way I feel the way I act and I despise you if you don't think or feel or act or look like me well that's just going to that's just going to take away peace not not add to it I I despise you if you're not motivated by the same things I'm motivated by. I I can despise you if you don't have the same priorities that I have or the same outlook that I have, if you don't have the same perspective that I have, uh, if you don't have the same things I have. And, And we want people to be like us. We love the idea when people are like us. It's easier to love them when they're like us. But when we have people who who we're in a disagreement with, when we have a a spouse who we, over time, realizes has different perspectives, ideas, and thoughts, and, and, and we realize that they're not quite like us, well, what we need to do is love them and love their differences rather than despise them and their differences. And we do that sometimes. We want people to make the same judgments we do. We want people to make the same decisions we do. We want people to think the same thoughts we do. We want people to utilize the same logic we do. We want people to agree with us. But when they don't, what do we do? Well, we should love them. We should love who God made them to be. You realize God loves variety. God created variety an amazing variety in this world. We're all different from each other. We all have different fingerprints than each other. We all have different personalities and perspectives. We all look different. God created this amazing variety of people with different talents and abilities and thoughts and feelings and emotions. And God created us all so different. Instead Instead of despising each other, For our differences, we ought to embrace each other and love each other in the midst of them. And delight in the differences like God does. The best way that we can deal with those differences is to say, you know what? I love you. I love you just the way God made you. James says that wisdom from God, here in verse 17, he says it this way. Wisdom from God shows no favoritism. And is always sincere. It shows no favoritism, and it's always honest and sincere in the way that it loves. And what is favoritism? Well, favoritism is where I show favorites. Ah, we all have our favorites, you know. And most of our favorites come from what we like and who we like and what we would do. And it's easy to love the people that are our favorites, but God wants us to love everyone. And and he wants us to do it sincerely without being, well, a hypocrite because this word uh, sincere is actually the word for hypocrite. It's just translated uh, it, the opposite here. To, to be sincere is to not be a hypocrite. Now, we've talked before about what a hypocrite is. A, a hypocrite's an actor, a faker. Uh, in the ancient world, a hypocrite was literally an actor on the stage who would play one role and then play another role and then play another role. He's always play acting. He was He's pretending. And God doesn't want us to be pretenders. He wants us to actually love people. Even people who make decisions that aren't our favorite, who think things that aren't our favorite, who do things that aren't our favorite. Always making sure we're grounded in purity and in the truth and speaking the truth in love. But let's be honest, a lot of the things that we argue about and stress about aren't things that are that important a lot of them are things that are just differences they're not harmful differences, unbiblical differences they're not sinful differences they're just differences and we should embrace and love those who are different God wants us to do that because that's what he does for us he loves us and you want to know the the real secret to putting this peace to work in our lives it's this the secret to putting his peace to work in our lives is knowing him and reflecting him more in our relationships god's wisdom is all seen in jesus christ god's love his mercy his grace He's done all of what we're talking about with each one of us to bring us peace. He's done it at the cross and he continues to do it with us today as he's with us and in us and present in us. And he just wants us to mature, to grow up, and to start following him and putting him to work in our life. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes this, In Jesus lie hidden... All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge of God. The more, we can, the more we can dig into him, the more peace we'll have in our relationships. The, the more we can take Jesus and what he was like and put it to work in our interactions with each other, the more peace we'll have. So you want to plant peace in your life? These are the six things that he challenges us in the book of James to put to work. And I want to encourage you. Maybe we talked about one that would help you. Maybe we talked about one that you kind of went, ouch, you know, I need to do that one more. I want to just encourage you, choose one this week. You're not going to fix everything in one day. You know, but you know what? You can make a little bit of a change today. And say, Jesus, make me a little more like you. Bring more peace into my relationships. Let me pray for you and pray for me that we can both experience the peace of God more in our lives. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're just so thankful that Jesus Christ loves us. We're so thankful for the peace of God that you offer us. God, I pray that we will experience more peace, that we will put more peace to work in our lives. God, we've talked about a lot of things that that you want us to plant in our relationships. And I pray that today uh, we would choose one and say, this is the one. Whether it be honesty, whether it be uh, just planting calm into our relationships. I'm not going to go through all six, but God, if we would just choose one, I pray that you'll help us to choose one. Or every day this week, we're just going to say, God, will you help me plant this peace in my life? God, we all have relationships that have animosity. Broken relationships or relationships where there's a guilt or grudge that's being held on to. There, there are relationships that could be redeemed. And I just pray that you will help us to put this place, this This plan for peace to work in our life, in Jesus name, Amen. Well, I want to say thank you for joining me as we went through this teaching on how to experience the peace of God in our life, and I, I hope and I pray that God will help you have more peace in your relationships. And I want to just, I want to just say another thank you. I want to say thank you for continuing to come and and join me as we get into God's Word together thank you for encouraging me with your uh, messages of encouragement thank you for letting me know how to pray for you Uh, thank you for just being a part of our online worship and our online community i'm so appreciative of you and i'm so thankful that you uh, that you choose to spend your time here in the word together with me and so thank you for that I want to finish up by declaring it's been a great day together. And so on the count of three, you ready? One, two, three, it's been a great day. I hope you have a great day and I look forward to seeing you next Sunday where we're going to begin a brand new teaching series together. I'll see you next Sunday.